Okay, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Monkey Business Show. <laughs> this is the holiday episode, I think. Sure, <laughs> we'll go with that. What's up, everybody? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Very chill right now. A lot of downtime. So, I where are you right now? Home? Yeah, Arizona, Phoenix. Okay. So trying to use the last of the sun wisely. Yeah. How is the holidays out there? Is it obviously there's no snow? I think in Arizona. Yeah, Maybe I'm just. <laughs> I think it snowed two days in the 30 years I've been here. Uh, okay. And it wasn't real so snow. Great two days. Yeah, it was like uh, ice sheets. You know, <laughs> half warm, okay. half got there. Um, so it's nice. It's nice here this time of year, actually, outside of the like, you know, super cold days. But yeah, very relaxing. Well, I am back in Thailand, and I am wearing the Christmas sweater of OG. Even though it's 33 degrees, <laughs> so I have shorts, but I'm committed to the Christmas sweater. So I'll be sweating on this part of my body during the podcast, but I, nice, I'm committed nice. to the cause. I respect that. I dude, respect that. Dude, there's a, a lot of things to talk about, uh, but I think first, uh, do you get to see yesterday's game of old G? I watched a little bit, but not too much. Okay. The time zone is rough on, on those games, and, yeah. but I went and looked at like the Dota bus of the drafts and uh, the scores and stuff. Looked, looked rough. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked rough. Um, I haven't spoken to Seb yet, so I haven't got like the, like what is going on or what he felt. Yeah. But I think that it really is a testament of a few things. It's like, dude, there's good teams out there. Eh? These teams that they were playing yeah. against, they were not, they were not plebs. Eh? They were, these guys were a good team. Yeah, I mean, they're known players. I mean, Europe's always probably going to have the deepest pool, especially. Yep. But yeah, I was thinking about it. Like a lot of these closed division qualifiers didn't used to have anything in them. They were just kind of dead zones. Now there's like some actual good squads, good players. You have that bleed into the Div 2, which is going up in quality. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the player base is doing pretty decent, arguably better than it was depth-wise a couple of years ago. And like you said, even these guys that people wouldn't have considered threats uh, a couple of years ago are pretty good. Like yeah, These yeah. guys are a lot better on average than the average player four or five years ago. Like People learn faster. They incorporated faster they're higher skilled individually uh i mean you have mmr inflation or whatever but you also have skill inflation right mm -hmm. like the average knowledge of how to play the game and what you're doing in the game overall increases over time so yeah i mean i still think those guys are tremendous players obviously you know i'm sure if seb and, and those guys were you know taking it 100 percent seriously and scrimming and all that obviously your results differ but Nothing, nothing is ever free in Dota. That's what I've learned. Yeah. All my years. Nothing is ever free. The second you think something's free, it's not. You get punished. So for me, I think you could see that obviously, like, okay, so if I am a very high rank player in Europe and I'm trying to build a team, the whole strategy is I'm gonna really work my ass off so I can play the qualifiers into death too. So this is a live for death, yeah. life or death for them. Well, maybe yeah. if you are in dev one, you're like, well, I don't play until January, I'm fine. Or like if you're in Dev 2, well, I don't play until January 30th, so I'm definitely fine. But here is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know I'm playing these guys. So all the teams feel so clean. There was one of the teams that we played. It was like, dude, these guys are good. Yeah. They were really yeah, yeah, yeah. good. I mean, it also, it's like a motivation thing too. Um, like I'm sure these teams are going in this qualifier and they see Seb, Thompson, No-Tail, MSS, no one. It's like pretty stacked team, you know, there's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of innate buzz. It probably motivates them too. To some degree it's like oh we want to beat these guys because they're like they're known players right um yeah. and so maybe that has an effect too like some of these 
you start to put more notable players in these qualifiers and suddenly people they they feel it a bit more like all right you know yeah. may, maybe even if we won't qualify i want to beat this team <laughs> that's good enough so, you saw the viewership the viewership was really good they were like it, yeah there was like around 50 to sixty thousand between different streams <laughs> What I, what I did like is that the whole point of Johan and Seb and Thompson doing this was they wanted to have fun. They wanted to continue doing this adventure and having mm -hmm. more content and more like Dev2 games and all that. And they achieved that in a way, you know, like the games are very fun to watch and we're obviously, everybody's happy to see them back playing. Sure. Even if the results are not what everybody maybe desired. But I think that, look, this is, I, I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, but you just got slapped around, boys. What are you going to do about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I I always like, I've never won a bet against Johan and Seb in, a, in the long run, you know? In the short run, sure, you know? But in no, the, I, I, I get that. Uh, it's hard to come back and perform super well right away. Like You almost need a wake-up call, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and but. they they were doing something fun. Obviously, they're not trolling, but like they're they're trying to figure out, you know, can we play the AA middle? Can we do those things, you know? Sure. So I don't I've been there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember the, yeah, the, the, uh, one of the old EGs at one of the summits was a tournament where Sumail wanted to play a mid and Oracle mid back mm. in the days where mm. <laughs> it's as rough it is, it is now. It was impossible back then. Okay. We made them look good. We did not do well at that tournament. I think the team got pretty mad. So if you pull that stuff off, it's great. If it fails, it can backfire. <laughs> do you saw that? The techies game that no tail played yeah saw some of the highlights that. that was that was really cool i thought that was really a really cool way of dealing with the tinker i thought it was really really cute you know connect with the mine mss, MSS has turned up with two supports Back says down incredibly low and low enough for No Tail to get the snipe on him. Back in the river, overkill, sniped by No Tail. Same to be set for Wesson, starting to take these tier two towers down. Maybe even the chance for some kills on top of it. It's the live turn to look for more. Stray on a set, sweeping over the walls, No Tail, and that's the gem hitting the deck. They don't see the gem, Owen. The courier is coming to the right side. It's coming in. Courier will back. Oh, no doubt. Ah, he's going to be able to recover it. You're right. Oh, that's a man. He sees it. Ah! Oh. No, he needs a couple of hits. Oh. He's not going to be able to get it. Oh, buddy. Vistal, Anku, and Overkill over the walls. And he tries to force out of the base, but he's not able to get off the high ground. Seb, buyback immediately coming into play. No one puts the refresher. Second BKB, that's going to be Overkill out for good. Staying to be set for SMN. And with four heroes dead, no buyback. That's going to be the game. GG is called OG. So, I mean, the guys are trying and they're trying to have fun. You know, you can see it on their peaks. That is like, we're not really looking for only meta heroes where we can just do that. They were... Sure. Look, I don't... Anyway, I don't want to speak for them. But good adventure, good uh, experiment. Now we need to figure out what is next. Or old gene is to figure out what is next for them. Yeah. So we'll see. Oh, I, I look forward to seeing what they do. I mean, obviously everybody thought they thought they were gonna go to Dev2, but now, you know, maybe it's like I said, maybe it's the wake up call. But anyway, anyhow, on this last episode of of before the holidays, uh, I think I wanted to, you know, have a little bit of time just to recapitulate of what happened in twenty twenty two with Dota. What hmm. where are we right now and what are we expecting or, or hopeful or excited about 2023? And for me, let's start from, okay, so at the beginning of, of the year, there was announced this whole new DPC system. And there were going right. to be these, uh, let's say, Division 1, Division 2, 
and these points that you will get uh, locally, and then they will fall into the major. Okay. So now that we've been a year into the system, what do you think? You think it was a successful endeavor? I think there's a lot about the system that is working for mm -hmm. how it's intended. Um, I mean, I think people can always sit here and debate to the end of days in terms of what they want for the Dota scene, right? But at the end, at the end of all of those days of debating, uh, it's pretty much a valve decision in terms of what they think is best for everyone as an aggregate in terms of what they want to do with the esports scene, right? And they have a lot of information they're basing that decision off of that we don't always have. And there's always parties that are going to be disappointed by aspects of it because it doesn't favor them, but that's a compromise of a league structure. I think mm -hmm. overall, the DPC accomplished some of its goals. Like number one, it, it has given a broader depth to a lot of the competitive pools in these regions. And it's giving those pools a lot higher viewership than they've ever had, which is pretty big. Like you have people, I mean, like you just said, you have 50,000 people watching a closed qualifier for Div 2. Obviously there's notable players in it, but overall, if you look at viewership for Div 2 games on average, like these are teams that were basically getting no viewership before the system existed. Um, and now you have even like NA Div 2 gets five to 10K viewers for a match. Like that's huge compared to zero. There's, there's some value in that. Um, it's a matter of teams, if they can tap into it, can a lead, can a lead tap into it and a TO tap into it? I mean, that's another question, but I think in terms of broadening the exposure, the viewership and, you know, some of the salary that some of these guys are getting, it's a lot better than it was three or four years ago. Uh, I think that's a doubt, like that's uncontroversial. Um, I know everybody would like to see tournaments wait a little bit more in terms of like a major prize pool be a little higher for that type of deal. Um, and everything is still TI heavy, but obviously they're shifting some of that back. I don't know. I'm always one of these guys who I, I prefer to see how things turn out before I judge them. You know, okay. like I, I want to see the end result of changes before I say if they're good or bad. Um, I think overall the DPC system has been good for Dota. Okay. I would have, I would have liked to seen it earlier actually, because I think it takes time to work out the kinks. Um, but I think what it's been doing has been good. Okay. So I will just add, I think that when I talk to, to Valve, they, they always mention that there is obviously a few, let's say objectives that we share. And then there's a few objectives that are not necessarily the same, which is why it creates a very interesting dynamic between teams and, yep. and Valve. At the end of the day, Valve wants players to play the game, and player satisfaction to be high. That's, that's the two objectives of Valve. Well, what I need is players to be more engaged in the pro scene. And I want to be able to move them into the pro scene so then they watch the games, not necessarily just play the games. Oh, look, if I move my hand, the light is better. So maybe I just have to put my hand here. So, so I think that they have successfully shown that the numbers of players in the game has continued to increase in the last few years. Everybody can go and see it, which is good. Yep. At the end of the day, it will trickle down for all of us being happy because the more people that play the game, the more people that we can get hopefully entice into watching the pro scene. Yep. I think, unfortunately, it came at the cost of players' happiness. And they are adjusting it now, moving to 2023, because the mm -hmm. seasons were very long, and it meant that the, there was an immense amount of stress and burnout. And we've talked this to extent in this podcast, but the idea is that you're thinking, well, you're only playing a game a week. You're fine, you know, you only have to play one game, you play a few screams and then you chill for the rest of the week. But it's not the case because everybody else is playing seven days a week. The 
because those games are uber important because they are directly the ones that take you to the major. And then by banking them for seven weeks, it makes it exhausting. It's really, really tiring. But now they're going to make it shorter. I think they could yep. make it even shorter. I don't think they need three weeks. I think they can be okay in two weeks, but it's okay. It's a, it's a compromise, you know? We understand. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to weigh it against why those leagues were so long in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, it makes it a much more attractive structure to the organizers who are running them. Like they can, sure. they can sell better sponsorships. They can promise a lengthier amount of time, higher total viewership numbers, all this. It's better from the TO perspective. It's easier to logistically manage. There's some expenditures that go up, but overall, you know, if you're talking about the impetus in terms of starting something, ending something, be the majority of your cost, once it's running, it's running. Like that was why those were longer in the first place, because that type of thing did not exist in Dota. And then you're, you're at a ecosystem where you're just selling to random third party events. Right. So mm -hmm. maybe it was at one extreme, it goes to the other extreme. Now we're going back towards the middle. I think a three week league is very reasonable. I, I think, think so. it, it's a very reasonable amount of time to play something that benefits the scene in terms of, TOs, fans, viewers, all this stuff, assuming that we feel like those goals are being accomplished. I think it's a reasonable compromise for players to make um, as long as there's people still interested in running third-party events, right? Which you also have to consider that that wasn't the case for a couple of years because obviously COVID dampened a lot of that capability and now you have it starting to come back. But if you fill those holes, then maybe that also needs to change at some point too. Like mm -hmm. maybe the league being longer was a effect of there weren't the capabilities to run a lot of these third party lands during some of that time period. I actually didn't but think I that we were going to disagree on this. This is going to get exciting, Avery, because I actually disagree oh, on a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Oh, hit me, hit me. When we were doing COVID, we created more third party events than before. We actually put more money on division two and division one teams than before with the Omega leagues and the, all those things that we end up doing. When, I mean, but those weren't real third-party lands, right? We're not talking about third-party international no, lands. lands being but run. we had online tournaments yeah. going on when Valve. Oh yeah, I'm talking third-party lands, though. Lands, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that there's this this fake narrative that oh well, these uh, this DPC system needed to fill the calendar because there was nothing else going on. No, we were doing. They were actually we actively had Dota Pete. We had like uh, Epicenter back in the day. We play ESL. We engage on purpose a lot of the tournament organizers to create more of these. And by the time we end up with a six-week DPCs, it dried out. And actually, I think right now there is less TOs in Dota because of the DPC. I mean, are you talking about online tournaments or LANs? Online, online. Oh. I mean, we couldn't do LANs because we were in COVID. Yeah, but the thing with the online is I feel like if I talk to players, players don't really care too much about the online. Like to them, the online just feels like an extension of playing the regionals because you're playing the same pool. Like a European online can't play the China teams, you know, an SEA online can't play the NA teams. So maybe that brings some variety to the DPC, but I think if you're just running online and DPC for the whole year, players get burnt out to the same degree. It just ends up feeling like a grind to some extent. So and obviously I think some of that varies from player to team, but that's been my experience talking to people. Like, so we talk to different people then, because one of the things that I talk to people where at the end of the day, a lot of these guys are getting older, they're having families and they're having trying to figure out how do they have a normal life? You can't mm -hmm. have a normal life if you spend 360 days across the world, either boot camping and doing this. So yeah, for sure. I think during the online era and all that, the Mantus, the Papis, the Kuros, the Johans, Ebs, Topsons, and all that were in a way maybe happier to stay a few months at home. No, they won't land, don't get me wrong, okay? They were happy to be home. So I actually was saying a weird and trickle down economic uh, perspective. 
the DPC push some of those players out of Dota. So we could say that the DPC actually reduced the amount of viewership because it's undeniable that when those guys play, the viewers come. So if you create a system that pushes all the stars and all the old players out of the system, then are you really creating an effective system? And I'm not saying this because of G. Look at right now, Faith Beyond, Y, all these players gone out of the system. The system is exhausting. It's really, really grueling. And the price that you have to pay to compete and be the best is your life. Wouldn't it be great to have a system that you don't have to pay your life? But then I'm a hypocrite, you know, because are football players having a life? No, they don't. Are NBA players having a life? <laughs> no, they don't. So maybe the price yeah, of competition, I mean, you know, is your life. Yeah, I mean, you're basically competing for something that's the equivalent of the Olympics, right? Correct. And that's a, it's a life degree. Like at the point where you want to be able to balance that, someone else will be willing to commit his Correct. entire life. And at that point, you have to set up something to stop that. Um, I mean, personally, I think the six weeks was too long. Mm -hmm. Like I, I agree with everybody on that. And I think everybody has, has felt that. I, I, don't, I don't think it was that productive for players. I think it ended up burning them out. And I think having the online stuff is great. Like I have nothing against that stuff. I think it should go on. Agreed. I think part of the original goal was for that to go on during the DPC. And obviously some of that clashed, right? And it didn't pan out. Everybody maybe thought it would, which sucks. Whatever, you learn and move on. Um, so that's just kind of my perspective. I, I just think at the end of the day, players ultimately care about going to LAN and playing on LAN because that's the Dota experience that makes sure. them feel like they're playing Dota. Um, and so the so, more that can happen, the better it is. Whatever that you want to do with DPC to make that happen more, I think is optimal. But that's also dependent on how many organizers want to have LAN tournaments, which I think has changed over the, the yep. various years, right? Um, especially compared to like, you can have an online tournament with all-star teams that gets super high viewership. As a TO, why would you want to have a LAN, right? It's just 10 yeah. times more expensive. So I, I think that's also a balancing act too. I think it's just you have to meet some of these in the middle. And I think players need to be willing to compromise a little in terms of doing stuff that's nice for like the online environment with the TOs. If they like it, that's even better. I mean, I don't know. You know, <laughs> Maybe this, these players are super fine with not going to LAN as much. And then I think having the lands to, to spice it up and give players that experience is nice. Um, so then what do you think about the CSGO system where they do lands, but they do a studio land, there's no audience. So you have the high value production and you have a little bit of the feeling of being there, but you're not in, a, in a, on an audience. You have this with Blast, you have this with EPL. Sure. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a decent concept. I, I think you can do a lot with it. It does bring a lot. Um, again, I think that's just where it, it varies from player to player. Like I know I've talked to some guys and for them, it's like, if I can't play in front of a crowd, it's not Dota. They, they think like, hmm, okay. And I'm not saying we should cater to them. I'm just saying at some point you're going to have somebody upset about something in the tournament structure. Um, that's just how it is. Like everybody has is somewhere different on that spectrum. Like you said, some guys are perfectly happy to stay at home more and play on the online stuff, which makes sense to me. Uh, the traveling is a super burnout type thing. Um, at the same time, I think there was. One of the things I didn't like about the Dota scene is I felt like there was a point where there was a push to make tournaments more available for some of the the lower tier teams in combination with the higher ones. And a lot of the higher tier teams felt it was unfavorable because they were being pushed out of tournaments that were part of that DPC structure, which maybe that was the issue, right? That was Can when you have like, I mean, this is when you have that year with like, you know, the 20 tournaments, majors and minors, right? Okay. That year, part of the issue was people feel like there was too many tournaments, so you couldn't go to them all. But part of that design was that nobody was supposed to go to them all. 
And then it was ended up you have, people go. Right, but that's the problem. Well, you need points, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. if you ended up looking at the point, like maybe that was a points issue, but I think there's also a, maybe it's changed now because people are better at balancing schedules. But I think there was a period where players had a, a FOMO type thing of like, if there's a land, we have to try and go to every land possible. Yeah. Maybe now it's a bit more balanced. Maybe having the DPC structure that's separate from those tournaments will help it as well. Uh, I don't know. It's gone like it's gone in circles over the years. It does. Yeah. It's funny how it's... we go to one side and then we like, okay, there's yeah. mistakes there, and we correct to the other side, and they was like, okay, well, there's mistakes there. So we're constantly like, maybe we're getting to the middle now, you know? I mean, that's what I think. I think we're we're slowly getting there. Yeah. Uh, at some point, it'll be good. I, I think going from six weeks to three weeks, honestly, I think we'll end up in a pretty decent spot. But we'll have to see, I guess. So I have a question for you then. Oh, this is going to get interesting. So we have something called CPM. It's how much your viewership is worth in different parts of the world. And we yeah, also have the cost of living, which is how much money does it cost to live in your region? Yep, and then yep. we have two different concepts for people to understand. One of them is equality and the other one is equity. Equality means where everybody makes the same. They're equals. And equity means that we are not equals but we are all fair across everywhere else. So I'm going to give a very simple example. Let's say that a Coca-Cola can in Peru is cost $1. And let's say that a Coca-Cola can in New York or in America costs $2. If you're paying the players in New York the same amount of money that you're paying the players in Peru, even though it's equal, it's not equitable. So right now in the regions, all the regions are equal because it's the easiest way to control it and the easiest way to be fair to everybody. But unfortunately, the cost of living in those regions is not equal. And a North American player right now has a harder time living out of the money that he makes by playing Dota professionally versus a player in another region. So yeah. I'm going to bring this back, Avery, to what we were talking about. Unfortunately, some of these regions that are pulling a lot of the weight are also regions where it's expensive to live in. So when we're trying to be equal and not trying to do any of that, unfortunately, by not by being equal, you're actually being unfair. I know what you're arguing here. Look, I played in NA for multiple years. I was on okay. the bad end of the stick every single time. I arguably played in the region that had the least investment versus the cost of living of it's anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's just the worst. Like, it's there. The issue, though, is it's a question of where these parties think the money for these players to play should come from. And from Valve's perspective, they don't want to go and subsidize player salaries because they think it should be orgs playing the salaries and the orgs are benefiting off that, right? That's one chain of that ecosystem. Understand. Like, for a lot of my years in NA, I made a decent amount because there were large orgs in NA that we worked with that benefited from us going to lands and giving them exposure and they could sell sponsors off that, and they ended up paying us a salary. And that's where the money for an NA Dota player should come from. Majority should come from a salary. I think that's true for a lot of esports players in a lot of situations. Like the majority of your earnings as an esport player should not be dependent on you going to lands and winning. It should be dependent on the org you're working with, benefiting the org, and the org benefiting you, and what mm -hmm. that relationship looks like. And obviously, a lot of the mechanisms in the scene in the league, and how the org can benefit from the league, and how the players can benefit from it, affect that relationship. There's no denying that. And obviously, a lot of those can be better or worse, depending on which game you go to. If it's CSGO versus Dota or whatever, it makes it more difficult. But in terms of what the current investment is from Valve into all the scenes right now, to me, that's like a baseline. 
Like that, it's literally just a baseline okay. to make sure that all the teams can play, function, go to TI and get an equal chance to go there. And I don't view the money that Valve is paying out through these divisions as what you should be looking at in terms of what a player is getting for the majority of what they should be earning as an esport player. It should be coming from the sponsors and the organizations that are interested in the scene. And that is what we should be trying to generate okay. a better return off of. Now, if that's not a good setup, right? If there is not interest from orgs in going into Dota, which I am well aware of, and if there's not interest from sponsors to go into Dota, that's the problem that we need to solve. But in terms of looking at the DPC and what it's doing for players and all that, like to me, that's the baseline. It, it just doesn't make sense to try and restructure that because it doesn't end up growing anything organically. Okay. You're just like subsidizing a difference. Sorry. Another aspect I just want to bring up okay, super go ahead, quickly. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> because I, I have been... It's like the... What is it called? The... The debate, debate class, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to debate this. I don't know. So another thing I think people often overlook is that the top, the top five to six teams in Dota carry a huge amount of the weight. Do not disagree with any of that. If you look at viewership, if you look at revenue, if you look at interest, whatever, there is no debating on all of those metrics. They are doing a huge amount. Like you said, building new following is incredibly difficult. You have these legacy brands, legacy players that that's not going to transfer. Like when RTZ retires, all those RTZ viewers and social media presence and fans are not just magically going to go to the next NA player, right? Yep. Uh, they are his and he earned them and that's the value he brings as well. So it's, it's going to be harder for those orgs to exist in the system because everything that is made equitable, as you said, is, is shifting more of the burden to them. In terms of advantage though, I think what is overlooked is that a lot of these regions that are now being supported operated under significant disadvantage for a long time that in some cases I think prevented them getting there in the first place. And so on one hand, you can say, I don't want to have to pay for the fact that that happened because I'm not responsible, which I think is true. On the flip side, I think it is a good thing that Valve is now investing in those scenes because they operated under competitive, in a lot of cases, competitive disadvantage for a long time that people just don't want to look at. You're playing on worse servers, you're playing on ping, you're flying to lands that are extremely difficult to fly to, in some cases arriving day before, massively jet lagged for 90% of your lands, because a lot of the lands operated out of two to three regions forever. And I know this because I did it for five years as an NA yeah. player. Every single lane I went to, my team was horribly jet lagged. We got in last minute. We're flying the longest routes around the world. It's small things like this. I'm not saying that makes or breaks your land, but I'm saying, there, there's these competitive disadvantage. Yeah. Your scrim conditions are worse. You have less partners to scrim. Now, is any of this a result of what I was talking about? No, but I'm saying these regions operate under this for a long amount of time. And I think it's unsurprising that you have a competitively disadvantaged region that operates under these conditions for a lot of time that's not going to produce the same things that another region will. Again, that does not hold those better regions responsible for paying for that. But what I think Valve's doing right now in terms of the support through DBC, again, to me, is an equitable baseline to just try and make that not happen again. Like, why would we want to return to a point where those regions are so competitively significantly disadvantaged that you can't build this and they don't have a chance to get there and they don't have a chance to compete and build the storylines that I think are doing what you're talking about. Like you want to build the next generation of players, the next generation of interest in Dota. These are some of the regions that can do it. Southeast Asia, South America, like some of these teams that come up that build new interest in the game, build new storylines. I think if you look at what, South America did it TI this year. It's one of the best examples. They, their teams of what they did at this TI year, I, I think generate a huge amount of new interest in the game. You might not see it on day one, but I feel like in terms of 
something new and exciting that we're seeing coming out. And especially like you're saying for the cost, the cost of investment is a lot lower. There's downsides and upsides to that. There's a reason EG is going to South America, right? Uh, there's benefits to it. There's downsides for sure. I'm sure they weighed them, but like, these are things you can, you can use to our advantage to help build the scene. I don't view them necessarily as negative. I, I view it as just these things can be solved independently. Like doing one doesn't mean where we have to hurt the other. I think what you're talking about is very valid and I think it should be addressed. I think there's mechanisms to address it. And I think this other stuff can also still be done and it doesn't hurt it. Okay. You know, drawing from one barrel doesn't mean we have to draw from both necessarily, right? We don't have to give from one to the other. We can just raise both levels and make everything significantly better. Like that's how I see it. Um, obviously resources are limited. I understand that as well, but I, again, I feel like the current state of the DPC is a baseline. Like if you go lower than the current state of DPC support for these regions, then you may as well not have a Dota esports scene. That's I how understand. I see it. I do support <laughs> the DPC. Okay. For the record. I actually agree with a lot of the things that you're saying, Avery. I think that a lot of the regions have been in a disadvantage competitively for a long time. And I think it's good when you have the highest level of competition. And that shows that when the big brands are playing on the big tournaments with the highest amount of competition, then the viewership is there. The moment, unfortunately, the brands, the big brands drop, some of the viewership drops. But I said, I agree with you. The baseline of what every region should have is what we have right now. Now, my problem is not with the baseline, it's with the upside. Because on the current system, teams cannot monetize media rights or other rights because those rights are completely given to the TO. So while the baseline on South America, on SCA and North America is good and positive, the lack of upside creates a lot of problems for us. Sure, I, I can understand that. I'm just saying that's like a, that's a debate between the TOs and Valve, or right? Or the, between the teams and Valve. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to sit here because I haven't been in those talks. I'm sure they've existed. I'm sure there's been a lot of debates between what the big orgs in Dota want versus what Valve wants and what the, that compromise looks like and how Valve wants to monetize their game and who they want to monetize it for, which has mm -hmm. been a very contentious issue since the dawn of time. There's been a lot of monetization mechanisms in Dota and at the end of the day, Valve wants to monetize the game for them primarily. And they feel like outside of that, the primary person they want to pay off is the player. That's why TI existed with the prize pool it did outside of the other reasons it was started in the first place. Like the player in Dota has been the largest recipient of the monetization but mechanisms. Avery, it's funny. Outside of you Valve. just contradicted in a way in a statement that you made before because you just you said before that players should be making money out of salaries. Yeah, that's why I think it's it's bad. I'm not right. saying it's a good thing. Correct. Yeah. So if you just uh, put I, price pool on on the players then you're actually just making it competitive. In order to get salaries, I, you actually I have to pay the, the orgs <laughs> and then the orgs flows to the players. Yeah, you have to give mechanisms for orgs to want to be in Dota. Correct. Right, which means you either give them direct mechanisms to monetize through the game or like it's so financially lucrative to be in Dota based on what the org can produce that it makes yeah. sense, which has existed at certain points very briefly. It did, it um, did actually. That, that is points. a way to accomplish that. Like it's not impossible, right? Um, and so, but you have to do one of those two things. I agree. I'm not saying Valve giving all the money to players is good. I've never thought it was that good. It creates a super lopsided system. You end up basically having these players who make all of their money through this one tournament, which is super nice if you're one of those players. You feel great about it. But at the end of the day, 
it's not really what organically should be happening. And it should be coming from a salary perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like the player should have the reliable salary that is coming from the org. And like we said, the org can be able to support that salary by the fact that they're making it somewhere else, which is these mechanisms we're talking about either from their end or from the game client. If it's not having the game client, then it has to be somewhere else. And it has to be a product of how the system and the ecosystem is designed, which is again, going back to that's between the orgs and Valve yeah. to figure out, right? And if at the end of the day, that isn't getting provided, then orgs will leave Dota, which has happened. Like that's what happened to NA. It's not profitable to be a large org in Dota in NA. It's not, that's why they left. It's, it's really that simple. Now, so, what, the causes of that and the reasons, that's like another three-hour debate, right? Yeah. But that's the end result. Like, right. Otherwise, these orgs would just be there. there there's no so, reason not to if it was profitable, right? You have great viewership. You still have great interest. It's a, the most profitable region you can monetize from an advertising sponsor perspective. Like, It's not about the quality of teams or any of this. Like, The, the NA orgs never really cared about that. If your team can get the land and get the views and you do a little content, amazing. It's just mm -hmm. not, it's just hella expensive. And it, there was no profitability in it, really. And they couldn't, it wasn't worth it to have on their portfolio. I mean, there's only one team that existed in NA that was able to sustain it for those years because they had the legacy falling. And at a certain point, you end up producing less content and you're just hurting that even more. So that's another byproduct of the TI prize pool. Create right. an ecosystem cool. where players don't care about content. They don't want to do it. They don't see the incentive. They don't see the value. A lot of players don't even see value in building their brand. Why does it fucking matter if I'm going to build my individual brand for five years when I can spend that time just trying to get good and get like a top six? And maybe that top six at one tournament is worth more than whatever I gain from building the brand for like five years. Yep. You know? And even the individual brand building in Dota is not that reliable compared to a lot of games. That's another factor people don't talk about. If you're a, a big streamer in Dota, you're a big content creator in Dota, you need a massive following to be able to consistently monetize it. Like, there's very few people who get to that mark. And the few people that do are often the ones that already have some sort of legacy brand built in. Um, which, how do you achieve that in Dota? You win. <laughs> you go and you win on land. Like, that is the majority. That's the easiest way to build a following. There's very few people who have ever built it through other methods. So it, it all just funnels back to this thing of like, the incentives aligned for these things to happen in the way they did. It's unsurprising. I don't think it was, I don't think a lot of them were good in, in, in the long run. Um, but it creates good storylines. <laughs> so I'm going to give <laughs> the audience. That's what it does. The audience are going to take out of the podcast a few interesting nuggets that I've never really shared. Okay. When you are streaming and you're a streamer, you're one of your biggest sources of revenue. I will say even the main source of revenue is the people that uh, become subscribers to you, yep. the, the pay subscribers. In North America, uh, most people have an Amazon Prime account. It's very, very common. With yep. your Amazon Prime account, you have the ability to subscribe to someone without having to pay extra. Okay, so in North America, everybody has an Amazon Prime. But in other regions of the world, Amazon is just not that prevalent. I am here in Thailand, I don't even have Amazon. And in Europe, I don't know many people that have Amazon Prime's account. So that streamers that are playing Dota versus other games, I, I have these and I cannot really tell you numbers, but I can tell you that there is North American Apex players with 2000 viewers concurrent that are making three to four times the money that European or South American players of Dota with 10 to 15K when they stream. 
that yeah, is sure. how massive discrepancy there is. No, I, I would believe it, yeah, 100%. And I've spoken to European streamers, and this is a real conversation, is have you considered streaming in North American hours? And they said yes, and I increased immensely the amount of money that I can make. The problem is my quality of life goes to shit because now I have to stream between 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. I don't have a life. I cannot spend time with my family. I cannot spend time with anything, yeah, you know? Course. So they are, that is a, a problem right there. And you, you mentioned uh, some, there's, there's something that you mentioned so many interesting things about, so how do you monetize the fan base? Okay. So why am I in Dota? Why am I in OG? If all this is so pessimistic, why am I here, you know? Well, this is the why I, I this is why I'm here. I've never met a more passionate audience than the Dota audience. Dota audience is fucking awesome. I'm sorry for cursing, but you guys are the best. And when channeled to the right way and channeled to the passionate way, you guys are the most loving people, supportive people. You literally finance the life that we have right now with the battle pass. We don't have any of this without you guys and without both. But this is out of the generosity and, and, the, and the people supporting the community that they became tribal about. So that the money is there. Okay. And the, passion, the fans have built this community upon themselves. So that's one thing that I love. And second is that the players that have made that money have actually reinvested it in the scene because of how much they freaking love this game as well. And these people, I'm talking about Kuro making their own team. And then Papi making their own team. And then Johan and Seb making their own team. And like how, for example, you guys were not even having salary. When there was like a, the Quincy crew, they didn't even have salaries. But you guys said, fuck it, we'll pay ourselves. And you pay our own bootcamps and you paid all of this. Like the money that you were making is the one that was sustaining your career. So there is a massive level of reinvestment. Very few people just say, wait until I and said, but I want money. You know, I'm going to just be rich on my own. Dude, everybody just continues to drop money into this game that we all love. That's a great place to be, you know? Yeah, the passion's great. Um, I just wish it didn't come to charity all the time or generosity. I wish there was like a few mechanisms in a business perspective, not just uh, a charity pool. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I am for having mechanisms that the, the, or the orgs can monetize. Like personally, I, I think if it's done well, it's done in CSGO and it creates a better system where those orgs are more interested in being in dota for the long term or being in that esport for the long term and investing in it because they see a tangible return on their balance sheet right it's nice like it's mm -hmm. probably the most straightforward way to accomplish it like we talked about um in terms of like all this other stuff i i agree that the with the, with all the passion statements in terms of like what the community looks like and, and how fans love the game and how players love the game and they want to stay in it and I think all that is 100% true. I've experienced it for all these years. I think it's amazing. Okay. Like I went into Dota to win a TI because I, not even for the money or the fame or whatever, right? I just wanted to win it to try and be the best at something, to compete in the arena of ideas. And for that, right? That was what interested me. That's what I was fulfilling about it for me. So that is what I tried to do. And I devoted 100% of my time and energy to that. And anything that interfered with that, I just didn't care. And if it cost me money, if it cost me brand or whatever, which it did, that's the price you pay, but I'm happy to, to do that because it improved what I wanted to get out of my life and what I'm doing. Right. And that's where I'm saying. If, if someone feels like that, like if you want, if you wanted to mandate me doing content, I don't have an issue with it. Right. I never had issues with doing content. 
I'm doing content right now. Like I love doing content now because I don't have the ulterior motive Understand. of trying to win a TI, you know? Now I am going to try and do more content and build the scene because I do think it's great. It's just hard to for a player to make that decision unless something's forcing it. I think this stuff should just be mandated. Like my experience being on the talent side and like trying to get players to do interviews and all this shit, it's mind it's mind-boggling to me. I think it should just be mandated more of this stuff. Like think of how long it took for us to get players to show up to matches with a working cam. Yeah. It took like two years. Yeah. Of like <laughs> I used to fight with my team all the time. It's like, no, it's not acceptable. You don't have a camera. Fucking yes. put the camera on. Someone should just mandate it. It should just be a fucking DPC league rule. It is you have to have cam to play. And now it is, right? But it took mm -hmm. us two to three years to get there. And how many players still don't want to do this? It like so I, it I doesn't matter. You just mandate it because that's what a yeah. league should do. If an org wants to do it, they should mandate it. It's as simple as that. If you're going to wait for the players to do it on their own, it's never going to happen because they have no incentive to do it outside so I, of... I really have a question for you. That for the first time, maybe my ego is going to be put on check. Okay. I always... <laughs> you, I want honesty, okay? I always sure. felt that forcing people to do things is not the right way. You have to incentivize them and convince them and all that. But then me as an org, I better deliver something great because this yep. guy is giving me his time. He's opening his heart to me. And if I okay. give back shit, he's like, I'm not doing anything else. Screw you, you know? So every time that we were doing something in EG with Life of a Genius or Road to TI, I have to make sure that the quality is so big and so good that he'll forever be like, no, that was worth the two days of my life. But some works don't have those resources. And then it goes back to the circle, you know? Then you ask the player to do content, you deliver some cringy shit that he hates, and then he sees him being cringy and he's like, hey, I don't like how I look there, you know? So then he's not really incentivized because in a way he sees it like he's being humiliated for content. And then he's like, but I want to win. So why am I getting humiliated for win? And then the circle is, well, I don't want to do content. Well, for me, when we were together in EG and when we we're in OGs, the other way around. I'm going to give you something that is so valuable for you. I'm building your brand. I'm literally giving you money and just in a different way. Like the episode of Taiga, have you seen it? The one with Taiga? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's like, what I get out of that episode is good. But what I hope that he gets is a gift to me, from, from me, an OG, to him and his family. The episode, I call them, you know, inside OG, we call them my love letters, by the way. These are my love letters to the players. Because I, yeah. me and Tom, write these episodes together. So I knew Seb and his sister. And I knew the obsession that both of them have and the drive. Boom, one episode. I knew Johan and Sumail, and I needed to tell the story of Johan and Sumail, of Sumail growing up, you know? So, yeah, I mean, if you want to incentivize people to do content, you better figure out how to take it seriously. And, you know, gee, Johan always grills me. Everybody ready by the time we show up, you know? Don't show up and take three hours to start filming, you know? Like, come on, value our time. Yeah. If you value my time, I will give you more time because I know you're using every single second. Sometimes we have two or three videographers there. So they go from setup to setup to setup to setup instead of one player, one player, two player, three, three hours, just waiting. You know, you cannot queue a game. Boom. It's like, chun, 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 chun. but yeah, like we, we need actually a higher level of professionalism internally in our, in orgs before we can bitch about players not doing content. That's my, my rant. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I would agree with that. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Like <laughs> if you have better run orgs with better production teams and professional media, that makes players look better, they're going to be more incentivized to do it. If it is better produced and better quality, it's going to get better return. 
terms of viewership and exposure, which is going to make it a better incentive for the player to do as well, right? Because they'll see a direct return from that. Like the mm -hmm. org will be doing better. The org can even directly compensate the player, right? It, it mm -hmm. happens. So it makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Creating incentives in any system is like the greatest driver for people to end up doing what you want them to do. Maybe that's why I'm salty about TI. I'm sorry about NA. Because I know the players and you know them as well. Yeah. They're good guys. But like you said, if the incentives don't align, then why am I doing this? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you just have to understand what players want out of their career and align with it. And like I said, different players want different things. Like, I still think there's going to be a group of Dota players that will never want to do any content no matter what. Sure. Because TI exists. It's as simple as that. There's some like, players that don't want to do any content. There's football players, remember, Marshall Lynch. I'm just yeah, here so yeah. I don't get fined. It's okay. We have to respect him as well. Yeah. So then it just, it's like I said, in those cases, it comes down to the org or the league to mandate whatever mm -hmm. they feel is the minimum to get their return out of it, right? Or you just don't work with the guy. Like, that's also the freedom of the, the Valve system. Like, the Valve systems are very free for people to do what they want, which is good and bad. Um, and in this situation, I'm not even sure if it's good or bad, but I'm just saying, like, an org that works with players who don't want to make content can also just not pick them up, right? It is something you can you can sign in the contracts. You can go and saying there's it minimum is. stream hours. Of, there's minimum this. That and part look, is very tricky yeah? because then oh, we want to win. We want to win. So yeah, let's say for I example, if you say Topson doesn't want to do content, you get Topson. The answer is yes. You know, sure, what it is. But then, but then that's, but that's still an org decision. Like to me, if I'm an org going into Dota, I'm going to weigh what I'm getting out of all these players mm -hmm. I'm signing. If my goal, if I'm, what I'm getting out of them is we're going to win, I'm going to build that into the contract. Then my, their incentives as a player should be based on them winning, right? Yeah, if yeah. I'm hiring this player who's going to do zero content and all his job to the org is to go and win us tournaments because that's his value to my org, then I'm going to build that contract and structure in a way where that player gets more out of me the more he wins and not the other way around. And this is the problem I think that exists in a lot of the space. You're right. Like, Orgs go in and with expectations that certain things are going to happen, like it happens in the rest of the esports scene, where some of these things are mandatory, you have more league structures, and they get pissed off when it doesn't, when it was never going to happen in the first place. And I'm not saying that's good. Like, I, I think players should do more content. And I think incentives should exist in a system where this happens. But you, I don't think you can be naive as an org and go into Dota. You're, you get immediately punished. And it's happened a lot. And because even it's if hard you're also not to negotiate with Dota players, like in a way, I agree, it's very talent, difficult. The pool, and the pool, sorry, the the pool of talent is the one that everybody's fighting for. I agree. I recommend all the time to orcs to get into Dota. I am a big Dota believer, but I always tell them you have to look at three or four years. Dota is not going to be good for you in one year. But also, neither is League of Legends. If I go tomorrow into League of Legends, do you think I'm going to have any fans? Nobody's going to give a fuck about me. But if you think about, sure. like in a way, the Dota orcs, in my opinion, the Dota fans are very kind and they reward effort. So an org that stays in and shows that they stay in and they show commitment and all that, people are rewarding it, in my opinion. But you got to build it in four or five years. It's not like one year return and you're like famous and you won games. No fucking Yes. Way. Yes. I, I think every org I've ever worked with, that's been their goal. I think Dota is incredibly difficult to judge. Perform Like you can have a world-class team with with world-class players Johansson. yeah that's won multiple ti's and they can just bomb out of a land and then they might go to another land yeah. and they might win it like 
And these things can be very small differences. You see right? why I'm Papi's fanboy, you know? Dude, this fucker has I, been doing it for 10 years. That he's, guy's a machine. Johan he said it the other the... day, he's like, before I joined Dota, this guy was already winning. I left yeah. Dota and these guys are still winning. How is this possible? I mean, there's always those discussions that are like, you know, uh, who who's the GOAT Dota player, right? It's, it's, it's a classic Reddit or community discussion. Like, who is the GOAT? Who's the Lionel Messi of Dota? Whatever these types of things are. But I think the one that's undisputed is Puppy is the most valuable player in terms of like, if you were going to start a team from scratch as an org and you wanted to like consistently win, this guy has done it the most. For a longer time like, with different roster, yeah. with different things. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. like if you're going to throw four random players with a dude and have him win, I bet on that guy, you know? Mm, four random players and a dude, I will say Sip. <laughs> of course, I understand that. And from a gameplay standpoint... Like maybe you're correct, you know, but, but not for 10 years. If I want yeah, somebody to win over in five a, months over a long term horizon, yeah, yeah, you know, like after one year, some player you're gonna lose, and those players half your roster is gonna get kicked or leave because players hate each other, and you're gonna have to pull two more dudes in, and all this shit goes down. You know, what guy is gonna statistically bring you the best result? And all the, it's probably puppy, right? Dude, it's like I get romantic. How can it's I crazy? How can I not get romantic about Dora? Because it's like I'm starting thinking about what are the guys that have proved it. Dude, AY is like having a renaissance and I love it. That yeah. kid has been brilliant for so long. He's such a good guy that I'm loving his renaissance. He deserves yeah, it. Uh, I just talked to him the other day and I was saying, you know, it's easy to forget that that guy had a two or three year down period as well, right? right? Like, he was feeling like shit probably. Everybody thought he was an yeah. idiot. And look at him. I mean, he went to talent, you know? Anytime you go to talent, it, it can mean good things. It can also mean bad yeah. things, but like, it's just a thing of, he was on teams that got scammed, right? You remember the NA city had, he was on teams where he got kicked. It was teams that were disaster. Like, but obviously everybody knew the value he could bring. He won TI and got kicked the next day. It's like very painful, you know? You win TI, yeah, this is a day that's supposed to be your, your day with the highest value of stock. And it became his, his downfall. But that's Dota. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's completely unpredictable. You can never predict this stuff because the, the players control a lot of these rosters and the roster decisions. And as long as that's the case, it's going to create instability because people are going to act on emotion. I think there's very few Dota players and captains and Dota leaders that act purely on a logical standpoint. And maybe doing that isn't even always correct. I think sometimes you, you have always to act very on logical. Are you, were you logical when you were yeah. a captain? Yes. Um, in fact, I, I think back on some of the decisions I made and I always tried to make what I thought was the best in terms of the, the highest chance for my team to succeed or what was best for everybody involved, right? Uh, but I also emotionally invested in my teammates a lot. So you have to weigh those two. There were decisions I made that I still think were right at the time, even though they were incorrect because I didn't I'm know sorry. everything I know now, right? Correct. Um, Correct. That's, I mean, the that's obvious one is, yeah, the obvious one is like after TI8, I think, we kicked snaking. Which now looks a little worse in hindsight, you know. <laughs> but um, but the thing was like there were there were good reasons for why that team was not working or wouldn't have worked. Like I firmly believe that that team would not have continued to work after that tournament. There were problems that would have continued to manifest that I didn't know how to solve. Now knowing everything I know now, going back, would have I done that? No, because I have a different skill set now and different knowledge, right? But, but in there, that moment, you knew what you knew. At that point in time, with what I knew and what I had and, and understood, like, it was the correct call. And I, even talking to Snake, he, he understood why that decision was made. 
and it was not an easy one and no one liked it and maybe in some way it ended up working out for him too right like, like that was weird like that. The... a lot of people a lot of people yeah a lot of people would get kicked it's not necessarily bad i remember there was like a running joke of it was like everybody who eternal envy kicks goes on to do like good things or something <laughs> that is not, like, fair. That's players, not fair because like, he kicks so many fucking people that is like the yeah, but, i mean that's also part of the joke eventually you know, but, one uh, of them yeah you kick yeah. half of a daughter system i mean it never never really worked for me but <laughs> there's a lot of guys but i think that's also part of that's why i'm saying like it's very hard to make the pure logical decisions in dota because it's too complex as well like i don't think even if you're a very smart rational actor that you can make the correct logical decisions because it's these problems are too complex. They're too human. They're too emotional. There's there's too many intricacies you don't understand. The game will get patched and changed a month later, and the guy you kick might have been insanely high value, and ne next month he could be zero value. Like we've seen that, right? Players get patched out. Tell me. I mean, how it. do you account for that? How how do you you can't account for it? So how are you supposed to make a roster decision? You can't. At the end of the day, you just go with your gut, which is what I think a lot of people do. But it makes it unstable because players understand they have to go with their gut and so the second they have some strong intuitional read they get latched onto it and it's very hard to get rid of that um, and i think you see it in teams a lot i think less nowadays than you used to like i, I think mean, people are more observant or when well, we prepare for a roster i mean we look for things like you're saying that will not get patched out or that will i mean there's a specific yeah, yeah. things you know do you love the game do you grind do you are you sure. are you good with feedback you know can you bring ideas do you play your heroes do you enjoy playing new heroes? Do you enjoy trying those things, you know? That's in right. a way the baseline. And if you have those right. things and you can communicate and you are happy to learn to communicate and all that, well, then we can figure out what the fuck is happening later, you know? <laughs> if you don't have no, that. I, I agree. I mean, I think I've, I mean, I've learned a lot observing. Like, uh, I, think, I think No Tail and Seb and that group of, of guys have been arguably some of the best Dota scouts ever. <laughs> Which is, I mean, scouts don't really exist in Dota, right? It's pretty much just the teams themselves. But they have pulled ridiculous talent out of nowhere. And I, it's not a coincidence, right? So Dude, the, the metrics they use to value that are, are very good. I'm going to say something then. Is it the players that they bring that they are able to... Do they... Oh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> or their nurture. Because this is yeah, what I feel. I, I get that. I get that. I feel that in the top, let's say, top tier of Dota players, I don't think there is that much discrepancy or difference between them. I think it's just about how they play, how they merge with I, each other. I and totally how they buy agree. People. It's it's a combination of the two. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I I fully agree. Dota teams are always more about what the team when the team pulls somebody in. It's always more about the team that that guy is getting pulled into. What does that look like? How does it function? How does it work? What's the ethos? What's the discipline? Right these things if you you could pull the greatest player ever into the worst environment and it you won't do anything so like i, I, I agree even that, that is for, the largest chunk Avery, for the fans to understand i don't think that the spirit was the best five players that year i don't believe that tundra was the best five players this year they're just the best teams they're really fucking good teams they had well, vibe going on and they play great with each other yeah but if you go position by position i can find you a better player in each one of the in each one of those places it doesn't matter. They were not the best teams. Well, not I mean, many players. The... Let's just be clear about it. Okay, there's not better sure, 33s. Sure, sure. There's no better. Like, I'm just making a statement where I can put three other guys next to 33 and say these guys are just as good as him. But Tundra was the best team this year. Undeniable. That, that is... That, if they had 100 games on the finals, they might have won 98 of them. Yeah, I mean, 
it's a it's a it's like a circular philosophical argument right I mean, like you have the best team well the best team is the best team because they can make their players the best in the world in some degree or they elevate them the most and then maybe you need the best players in the world to make it the best team like these things can be very circular the legends we have in OG things like we say we we make superstars we don't have to buy them it's actually we call them we make them because they're, they're sure, ready i they're i ready. i mean it, i've never like getting star power is only as great as how you know how to use it it's not going to innately do anything for you right um it's just about how you value a player and what you think he's going to bring and how you build around him that's how i've always thought of teams uh, and you can find that anywhere you can find it in a star player too right like sure it, it can be some guy you're like this guy's damn good and i he checks all the boxes i want this role you know it's just you have to understand what you're looking for and what you're going to do with it which is i think what makes good dota scouts good dota scouts to a degree um but i also think they understand what they're looking for because mm -hmm. they're also very freaking good you know Absolutely. like the metrics, if you're not you good it, you said it right the metrics that they're yeah. looking for in a player they know is conducive to them yeah. their greatness so that's why these things are like they're one in the same to me in a way um like you're not going to be able to scout someone who is and who's going to end up being that superstar unless you are in some sense a superstar at the game yourself or like or you're all yeah. learning together right of course you can also build teams through mutual gain and and understanding and camaraderie right um which you is know that in you know g management a lot of strength doesn't run doesn't hire players right like i'm, I'm we've yeah, talked yeah, yeah, about yeah. this many times it's like we don't do it i literally sat yeah, down yeah. with misha and said who do you want to play with I, why would i even have a say like that is ridiculous right. The level of sure. ego that I have to go into, say I have a say, it's like you need to know how the pieces merge with each other. And the only person that knows it is the captain. And then the captain has to listen to the players that he has playing with him, you know? What do you think about DM now, our new offlane? I mean, I played with him. I played with him. I brought him, we scouted and brought him in for a stint. And I think that was a case of our team was just terrible and didn't have a lot of functioning. And we put him in there and it was like hopeless for him. Uh, I feel bad about that, but he learned some stuff. And I mean, that's Dota. Like you're going to go from teams until you find places, right? When did you play with him? He is a, this was um, before we got Lelis. Okay. I don't, I don't even remember. Uh, so like, it was like one or maybe only one or two lands. Okay. Um, he is a, he's an amazingly chill dude. Super nice. Like very genuine person. Um, all of that was super cool. Because he's very quiet. Like, I don't think a lot of people see him do, like, crazy content or anything, right? Um, and he has a very good work ethic. And he's very open to ideas. And he's a good teammate. Like, we never really had issues with him. It just, the fit wasn't good. And our team had other problems, right? Um, and so I'm super happy to see him succeed. Because I think he's a very, he's a very high-skilled player. Like, he is one of these guys who's young. He's hungry. He grinds. Plays a crap ton of pubs. Builds his hero pool. Um, he was originally a carry player, so, you know, maybe that'll help replace some of the, <laughs> you know, you can put another carry player in the offlane and just said, I have he'll... stacky carry players. I think yeah. you're like, at one point he's going to be like, Hey, can I just play three on the other line? Yeah. So, just, just put him in the other lane, you know, so I can get Midas. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think it's going to work for us? What do you think? What is your, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think he's definitely more, he's definitely more sacrificial than ATF was like for sure. And he's a. He has a much larger utility hero pool than ATF had, um, which I think is some of the downsides you guys ran into into TI a little bit. Because um, this patch was weird, but I think at the end, a lot of this patch from the offlane was like, a chunk of it was these aura buyers. It was like summons and aura buyers, and 
they were pretty dominant in a lot of lineups, and I think that was one of ATS weaknesses. Um, I think it hurt. Um, so I think DM is a bit more flexible as an offlaner in terms of you want him to play that stuff, he plays it. You know, you want him to play blink initiators, he plays it. You want him to play the weird cheese heroes or the or the carry offlaners, Timbersaw, like he plays them. You know, and he plays them all pretty damn well. But I think that part is pretty nice for you guys because I think Yoragi is also flexible, and it means you should should be able to draft pretty well around them. It should be it should make drafting pretty. We pretty talked easy. about it on his on his uh, let's say on his presentation that one of the things that he's excited he's like I ha play a lot of heroes that Yuragi plays and I play a lot of heroes that VCM plays. Yeah. So you can get Bad Rider and I'll Makes play. Sense. You can play these. Like, I'll play it. I can play all these all these heroes. I'm like, yeah, hmm, those players are nice. They they make life easy. You know, like he's a, he's a, that's what I'm saying. He's a, he's a good teammate because he makes everybody else life easier. Um, and those players can be really valuable. If you, the team can utilize them well. Um, but it depends. It depends a lot on, you know, I don't know how big of a voice ATF was in the team, for example, in terms of like decision-making and it calls changed. and this type of stuff. You know, some of these things are, are different. So when we didn't have Misha uh, for some of the majors, he became a more vocal. He was drafting at one point. Uh, yeah, that's true. During GI, he, Yuragi, I think, stepped, stepped up a little bit. So it just changed. The dynamic has changed during the system. And Misha is not like a iron fist ruler. He's very, very chill. Right. And you know, there's some tournaments that somebody is feeling good and somebody is feeling like, hey, I have a good read on this. Go with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I get that. That's kind of how I was. Um, Remember, like, so there's moments where, you know, like the Mark heroes were so fucking broken that you got to play it that way. So that's yeah, it. Yeah. So I that mean, guy is the one telling you how is this how is happening, you know? I agree, hundred percent. I mean, that that guy understands what he wants to do, and he does it. Mm -hmm. And those players are. That's what I'm saying. Like those players are. It's very hard to evaluate what that's doing for your team until you lose it, and then you kind of figure it out. But you are gonna you do lose something when you lose those types of players because they're a driving force. Yep. And like every team has two or three of these large driving forces that make stuff happen a lot of times intangible stuff that you can't always measure in terms of like this guy won us the game you know it's not that simple and when that player leaves the team you kind of have to figure out which of those you you lost and what you gained and rebalance it and sometimes that takes time like it honestly i think it takes time more often than people think yeah because you can sit there and be like all right here's what we're losing and here's what we're gaining or or whatever maybe you're losing nothing gain Nothing like it's an even trade, however you want to frame it, but you're going to be wrong. I think like I've yeah. never seen anybody be hundred percent right on this. It, it never happened. So that is just a process you have to work through. You lose and you figure it out and readjust, and then you become hopefully better, right? The goals, the next yeah. iteration is stronger. Well, uh, Avery, this conversation went to a different place. I don't know if you remember the beginning, we said that we were going to do a recap of a year and then we try to yeah. solve the world problems. <laughs> So let's just finish with like a, you know, like a good sentiment of what this year was for you, uh, the best things for this, for this year, you know, you know, you know, have you ever sure. done the OG briefing? It's always the same thing is one went right, you know, and what are you grateful for? Oh, uh, this, forward. yeah, this, uh, yeah. One went right for you and what are you grateful <laughs> for this year? There are a couple others in there, I think, but. I know, um, but I'm not going to give the whole sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I mean, just going to give you the positive ones. This, this year was probably the most. How do I phrase this? Uh, it was the least stressful enjoyment okay. <laughs> I've gotten out of Dota. You know, I say that because I enjoyed all the other years I played, and they were very fun. And but they were a lot 
more stressful um, in terms of like the mental strain and the mental toll. And I don't think you can play forever, like nonstop either. I mean, you guys know this, Seb knows it, like at a certain point you play for so many years in a row and it's just like, you have to step back. Um, so that's kind of what this year was for me in a lot of ways too. Not that I'm planning to like- I was gonna say Avery coming back. I'm not creating that illusion. I'm just <laughs> saying like, it's nice to step back okay. regardless because you gain perspective of the past years you've played. You gain perspective of like the scene as a whole, what other teams are doing. You know, you have more time and energy to look at what all these other teams and all these other regions are doing, especially as a caster slash talent because now it's your job, right? Um, as opposed to like 80% of your time being, what is my team doing? Um, and I think that's a very cool thing to experience that I'm glad I get to do. Uh, it's a different lens through which to view the game and the, the tournaments and all that, which has been super enjoyable. Like I have not, nothing about it has been bad for me uh, this year in terms of the experience. The talent side is all absolutely incredible people. Like I think it's taken for granted a lot, but I truly think that Dota has some of the most passionate talent of like any esport it's like undeniable nice uh, you guys are so i know nice. fa yeah. like fans can be harsh you know fans obviously they pick the people they like they pick the ones they they don't they're gonna voice criticism that's always how it's gonna be in any talent world because that's the nature of a competitive industry right but i don't think anybody can ever fault like the genuine passion that all of those people have for dota like it, you feel it uh, when you talk to them and, and you, you watch them watch the games um so that's a very cool group to be in because it's different than the player side. Uh, players are more... They're also passionate about the game, but it, in terms of like, you know, they want to fulfill their vision of it. Or, mm -hmm. or maybe some are more competitive. They want to conquer other people's ideas. Or they want to build the best team in the, that the world's ever seen, right? And that's all super fun and enjoyable and noble. But it's, it, it can sometimes lack the overall perspective of like what's happening in your life and who you're interacting with and, and what's going on. And, you know, am I developing as a person? Like, that's one of the things I think a lot of players can lose sight of. You get tunnel vision and then you look back and you're like, damn, I spent like four years on this team or five years on this team or something. Like, am I the same person I was four years ago? You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I am. Like, I think that's like a lot of Dota players ask. Evolved, always. Yeah. So. I think it's it's nice to step back and actually evaluate, like have time to evaluate that is, I guess what I'm saying. Because otherwise it can be hard to notice. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta stop and smell the roses, I guess. So, is, so that's why you're good, that's the, also the grateful. You wrap it up together? It, yeah, it's kind of both, you know. Okay. Um, I, I, think, I think TI was very cool um, because we obviously did not have TI with a crowd for what felt like almost three years to me. Mm -hmm. um, because two-year gap, then you have a TI without a crowd. So this is the first one with a crowd. And it, it was obviously different than the other TIs in terms of like size and all that. But to me, it's still like, it's the TI magic, you know? And being able to cast those games is, I feel like we had maybe the best series of the tournament. Uh, some of our games were some of the best for sure. Like the Liquid Thunder series in that. Yeah, it was, awesome. it was just super grateful to have been a part of those series because I, me and Cap worked very hard for the year to try and build the best product we could and to like be able to deliver when you get a series like that. And so based on the feedback we got to be able to say like, you know, we delivered something that people enjoyed um, was very fulfilling because it was something that I worked for like the whole year. Like I literally 
when I started working with Kaplan, like I want to go to TI and cast. And I want to cast the best series that anybody cast at that tournament. You know, I want to, I want to try and give like Owen and Fog the run for their money, you know, like, even though, you know, they're like, they're, they're the best, so they deserve they're grand so finals, yeah. obviously, but it's like the principle, you know, like I want to yeah. make, make them maybe sweat, you know, <laughs> they're too chill to sweat, but it's like my personal goal. Right. Um, and so to see that come through was very fulfilling because for a lot of Dota, my goals, I didn't get to achieve it, uh, is to nearly that degree. So to be able to set something for the year, work towards it, go to TI, be able to do it, have it be like amazing. Have That's feedback awesome. be good, enjoy like that was. It's just fucking nice. <laughs> and then for the first that time, experience is nice. Then for the first time, you actually have a little bit of time to actually enjoy it and let it sink, you know, because it's yes. That's uh, awesome. So that that was cool because I enjoy doing that stuff in life, and you're not always going to be able to have that opportunity to do it. So that is uh, that's what I'm grateful for, and that was that was the best part of my year, honestly. Awesome. Well, I for me. I think there's obviously a few things, but one of them, the new roster was something very important for us. And I'm very grateful and very happy about how it happened and like what happened and how it happened. It was, it was mm -hmm. really good. It was a big sense of pride because this was actually one of the scariest thing, you know, imagine your, your roster tells you, by the way, we're not playing yeah. next year. How do we replace the most famous players in the world? And I actually like a lot or found a lot of pride on, on this show, on this monkey business show. It's been an incredible therapeutic moment for me. And today, for example, so the, the, the last episode I was not here, it was the, the second episode on the whole season out of 65 episodes I've done that I was not here. And it's because we had a problem with a few of the guests and it came to film it at 3 a.m. in the morning, the night before it was released. Mm. And I'm like, guys, can you do it without me? But this has become something that I'm actually looking forward to. Every guest that is here is people that I want to talk to. And it's my selfish moment, you know, like I want to talk to Avery and I knew we were going to have an intelligent <laughs> conversation. I just didn't know where the conversation was going to go because you're one of the most intelligent people that I've ever interacted with. And you're like, you can see through the information. I was like, so I know this is going to be fun. And I woke up this morning knowing, okay, shit, now I have to talk to Avery, you know, so let me have a shower. <laughs> let me stretch out, you know, my mind. And yeah, it's been amazing. And. I have made new friends during the show, people that I didn't know before, like Boom or like having like, a, like I don't know, Aoi here is made it really fun because now when I see them uh, in person, there is like a lot of like an, an, an immediate connection. And I have found a lot of kindness from them that I didn't maybe because of my imposter syndrome, didn't think that I deserve, you know? How I go to TI, I go to a bar and I see Boom there, it's like, hey, what's up, buddy? I'm like, oh, he knows me, you know, and it's been super fun. And, you know, for everybody that is listening, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, we're 62 episodes in from the main, I think. And then plus the live ones that we did. And I know very proud and the community seems to like it. So yeah. it's, it's been fun. I feel now I am bringing something of value to the community instead of just trying to extract as much value as possible. <laughs> Yeah. That's good. <laughs> it's yeah. a good feeling to have. Yeah. yeah. And again, Johan and Seb continues to enable all of us and OG to have a dream and to have this and can never be undermined how much risk, sometimes a lot of personal risk they take, you know? 
It's literally their money that we're playing with. It's literally their mm-hmm. their careers, their legacy, and their company and their brand. And they created this cool little hut where we can all live inside and and have fun, you know. And we don't have any other investors. We don't have any other bosses. It's just them. So it's a very cool and creative place to work in. That's awesome. Yeah. Even though I'm gonna put them in blast, I would love them to read some of the emails. <laughs> and oh, the emails, call. huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you think you that know. that's the only email we miss? <laughs> I thought that was your job. I thought that was your job. No, we never got that email. Oh. I never got that email. <laughs> I told the story. That email was not even sent to me. So I am the one that signs TPAs, but that email was not sent to me. It was sent to the coach. Tell me how many coaches read emails. Not many. I read some emails. <laughs> when I was coaching, I read some emails, but yeah. yeah. All right. Well, but I didn't. Fair anyway, Avery, dude, uh, thank you so much for finding the time. It was great seeing your transition, you know? and the things that you keep doing in your life. And I still think that you should be spending more time in camera outside of the game and outside of just talking Dota. Uh, but, you know, we had a movie review uh, podcast, Avery, Sumel, and, and me, and Phil. Yeah. That it was super cool. And that I never saw the, the light of day. But thankfully, I think. It was great. It was great. But dude, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's late for you. And yeah, have a great day, my friend. I appreciate it.